Good morning, church. How are you? If you weren't here last week, we celebrated Epiphany. (laughs) The Feast of Epiphany, which is uh, that moment which we sort of commemorate when the Magi from the East followed the star and came to pay homage to Jesus, the newborn king. Little baby Jesus, the newborn king. All right, Brenda, I'm I'm trying. See if it's going to pick it up. Here we go. So this is what we celebrate, the Feast of Epiphany. It's officially on January 6th, which would have been Friday, but you're, you're able to sort of celebrate the Sunday of Epiphany either before or after January 6th. So we celebrated it last week, or both. We're not going to talk, I'm just leading into the first Sunday of Epiphany is this Sunday. So Epiphany marks the end of the Christmas season. If you didn't know, Christmas is 12 days long, starts on December 25th. Not December 1st. Christmas does not begin December 1st. It actually starts on December 25th as part of the 12 days of Christmas. January 6th is then that 13th day epiphany that marks the end of that season and then starts the season of epiphany. Uh, The word epiphany comes from the Greek word, which means to appear. So it's an appearance or a manifestation. And as Micah told us last week, this is the moment that sort of celebrates the moment that God appears to the Gentiles, the Magi, okay, through the incarnation of Christ. It's a manifestation of God in the incarnation of Christ. The fancy word for this is theophany. Say that with me. Theophany. theophany. Isn't that exciting? Let's hear it again. Theophany. Oh, well done. It's a visible, <laughs> a visible manifestation of God to humanity. That's what we understand the incarnation of Christ, the birth of Christ. And Epiphany celebrates that moment where God is revealed to the Magi, to the Gentiles, and we know, of course, to the whole world. Now, I've showed you this before. This is the liturgical calendar. I think it helps us set up kind of where we're going today. Um, It may be a little confusing, but the beginning of the year, if you see that purple block on the left, is Advent. So we celebrated Advent, the anticipation of Christ. Christmas is the incarnation of Christ. And then we have the season of Epiphany. And as you can see, that runs all the way from Epiphany Sunday to Lent, where we celebrate and remember the crucifixion of Christ, and then the ascension and Easter, and then this um, season, the day of Pentecost. Half of our liturgical calendar would follow the story of Jesus. The bottom half of ordinary time, mostly through the summer and fall, celebrates the story of the people of God. And I say all that to say that traditionally, the first Sunday in Epiphany, which is where we find ourselves in the liturgical calendar, the first Sunday in Epiphany is known as the baptism of our Lord, where we celebrate the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. So, yes, we we just jumped straight from Advent and the birth of Christ, Jesus as a baby last week, and now here we are, adult Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, at the baptism of the Lord. A little bit of a liturgical whiplash, maybe, uh, maybe, and yet there's not much we really are given between, you know, the adolescent years of Christ and Scripture. And in most of the gospel accounts, we go right from the birth of Jesus to the beginning of his public ministry. It jumps right to the beginning of his public ministry, which in the Gospel of Matthew that we're about to read, the Gospel of Matthew, it begins with his baptism by John the Baptist 
along the Jordan River. Okay, so that's, that's where we are this morning. First Sunday in Epiphany, the baptism of our Lord. Get us a moment to kind of uh, to get our bearings a little bit. This is the order and rhythm of our worship life together. We don't always follow the liturgical calendar, except pretty much in Advent and Lent, these times of preparation ahead of our sort of big holy days of Christmas and Easter. And if you didn't know, Lent um, starts like February 19th, I think. I mean, it's not that far away that we're already, we just celebrated the birth of Christ and not you know, pretty soon we're going to be fo- focusing on the crucifixion of Christ. So it goes kind of quick, right? It goes kind of quick through this first half. Um, but wanted, I thought this was a really great day this morning as an opportunity for us at the beginning of another new year uh, to celebrate and remember the baptism of the Lord and what it means for us today, because I, I think it teaches us a few important things. Okay, so our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, Chapter 3, this is going to be verses 1 through 3, and then jumping to 11 through 17. So hear now the word of the Lord. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who has spoken, who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, so this is the same John the Baptist that we just talked about from the Gospel of Luke. You know, that one, that son of uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, the one who leapt in his mother's womb with joy when Mary, and G- in the presence of the Lord, came when Mary was expecting This is the same one, the one who would go before Jesus to prepare the way. So it's like uh, one of those movies where it just sort of like cuts, jumps 30 years to them all grown up. And that's where we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 3. That same one, this is John the Baptist, who in the Gospel of Luke we read, will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord, make ready for the Lord, a people prepared. So that's where we find John the Baptist in Matthew 3 doing this exact work, inviting people to repentance, to return to God, to be, to be baptized in preparation for the one who would come. To make ready for the Lord, a people prepared. That's where we find John the Baptist 
literally baptizing people in the desert with what he calls the water of repentance. Okay, now what's interesting, though, is like you can imagine this sort of happening for just the people of Israel. They hear this call from John the Baptist to return, return to the Lord, repent, make, get ready, be prepared. He's telling them for the coming Messiah. This is very, uh, a very remarkable moment for the people of Israel who are responding. We know not everybody did, but in this moment, the people who are responding to John the Baptist, the crazy sort of wild thing is that Jesus participates in this baptism with them. That he comes as well to John the Baptist to be baptized. So three quick things that I think we can learn from this moment about Jesus's baptism and the significance that it has for us today. Kind of three things that it shows us. First is that this is actually a way of preparation. That's what John the Baptist says, to prepare the way of the Lord. This baptism of repentance in the desert is a way of preparation for the people. At this point in the history of Israel, we know that there was something um, like a ritual cleansing, okay, that was happening by immersion that probably looked like what we think of as baptism today. It was a ritual bath of sorts that they practiced before entering the temple in Jerusalem, Okay, and the temple, of course, is where they would go to offer their sacrifices, to pray, to worship, to repent, to restore their relationship with God as the covenanted people, as the people of God. So there's something like this already happening. And remember, for Israel, these, these acts of faith and sacrifice, repentance and prayer, that is, that is what they believed restored them in faith, restored them in right relationship before God. That's righteousness, right? The right relationship before God. And they would go, at least annually, to the temple to offer these sacrifices, to return to God. So this ritual bath then, before they entered the temple, was a moment of cleansing and purification. It was a moment of preparation before they would enter the presence of God, as it were, the temple to worship. John here is now calling them to repentance, to return again. So this is something they're familiar with. It's something that they've done before, but never in the desert with sort of a wild-haired John the Baptist. Long-haired, yeah, yeah. (laughs) They would have done it in the temple to prepare themselves before entering for worship. But here now, they, they know this is unique. This is a call to, to prepare yourself for the coming Messiah, something new, something different. John says, I baptize you with water, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So it's, it's pretty amazing and remarkable that the people are participating in this. Again, a similar practice that they might have been used to before, a ritual bath, so to speak, of preparation. But the really amazing thing happens when Jesus joins with them and responds. Not because he is somehow with sin and needs to repent, but in a sense that Jesus is participating in this way of preparation himself to prepare for his public ministry. It sort of marks the beginning in a very important way for what is to come. And if you know, right after this in the Gospel of Matthew, he goes and is tempted in the desert for 40 days. He enters into a a desert place of intense temptation right after this moment. 
Jesus needs to be prepared. And this, this baptism with the people, entering in with them this moment, is an act of preparation for Jesus as well. The second thing is that this shows us his way of commitment to the will and the plan of God the Father. It's Jesus's way of, of sort of consenting and acknowledging and saying yes to this very public ministry, the beginning of this, saying yes to God's will and God's plan for salvation for the world. Did you notice that Jesus kind of had to convince John the Baptist to like actually baptize him? And he's like, no, man, this is not how it's supposed to be. Like, I'm, I can't even carry your sandals. I am not going to baptize. What? I, that doesn't make sense. But Jesus convinces him. He says, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus says it is fitting for us, for me, in this way, to fulfill all righteousness. This is Jesus consenting and saying yes to the will and the plan of God for salvation, which will restore everyone to the right relationship of God. That's what we mean by righteousness, right? Restoring everybody back to the right relationship with God the Father. So I mentioned this already, but for Israel, righteousness is a very, it's a very uh, relational thing. It's all about being in right relationship with God as the chosen, covenanted people. Okay, when we think of righteousness, even for Israel, even though they had a whole lot of laws that they had to follow and things that they were not allowed to do, even for the people of Israel, righteousness wasn't just about sort of moral purity and right and wrong. It wasn't just about living according to the law. It was really about staying in relationship with God. That's at the core of it. It was all about staying in relationship with God. And we see this even with Abraham, even before the law. When God chose Abraham and covenanted with Abraham, he was made righteous because of his faith. It says Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Reckoned him righteous, made him righteous because of his faith. This moment, my friends, happens well before Sinai and the law and the commandments. Before Abraham was able to be obedient, to live right according to the law, righteousness comes from faith in God, a faithful God who reckoned him righteous. Righteousness for the whole people of Israel is a deeply relational thing. Human righteousness then means that it entails being put back in, in right relationship before God. And what Jesus is announcing here and to everyone and to John the Baptist is saying, no, this is the beginning of restoring all righteousness through him, right through Jesus. The righteous live by their faith from another prophet. Jesus preparing in this moment for his work to restore all righteousness, reveals his commitment to this plan. It reveals his identity. It also reveals his will in line with the Father's. It is Jesus who will say in the Gospel of John, I am the way. This is the way to the Father to restore relationship back. We know all of this, so it's hard to kind of hear it with fresh ears that maybe the people of Israel could hear it as anticipating the Messiah. So all of those years, all those times they went to the temple in Jerusalem, here now, 
there in the desert responding to John the Baptist in preparation for the Messiah who will actually restore the relationship with God that they have always desired. That's all that they've wanted when they've come to the temple to pray and to offer sacrifices, to be put back in right relationship with God. And then the last thing that this episode sort of teaches us is the identity of Christ, right? This is one of those amazing, uh, another theophany, if you will. Say it with me. You are awake. That's glorious. Good job. It's another theophany. It's another manifestation of God to humanity as Jesus is baptized, as he's submerged, comes up from the water a dove descends like a like the spirit descends like a dove and the voice of god is heard it's audible proclaims this is my son my beloved son in whom i am well pleased this whole episode for jesus is a way of preparation for his ministry it shows his commitment to the plan of salvation to restore righteousness to all people not just israel and it reveals and proclaims to everyone, even us thousands of years later, this is one of those moments you look to in scripture and see some Trinitarian amazing things going on. And it reveals Jesus's identity as the beloved son, as the, as the son of God, kind of identifying him with that servant from the prophet Isaiah here is my servant in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. Reveals his identity as the son of God. It shows that this relationship, though, is built on love first. God the Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Before Jesus can go and be tempted, before he performs any miracles, before he, he sets out to preaching and teaching, he is loved by God first. And you're thinking, yes, this is obvious, duh, he's the son of God, Rachel. But to follow this same baptismal formula today is to understand that our identity comes from this same baptism as well. Our identity rooted in Christ first. Our identity and our, our purpose is rooted in that love of God for us first. Before we can go out and we can achieve and we can excel and we can love and teach and serve, a lot of those are wonderful things. But before all of that, we don't, we don't earn this love. We are called and claimed in our very own baptisms as well as beloved children of God in whom God is well pleased. There's a scholar who says it this way. Before Jesus proves to be, faith, to be faithful son of God by resisting the devil in the wilderness, before he begins to fulfill his messianic mission, God declares his unconditional love for him. Being God's beloved son fundamentally defines Jesus. Accordingly, Jesus does not do God's work in order to earn God's love. Instead, divine love is what motivates and sustains Jesus' Jesus's ministry of love to those who are hurting and those who will hurt him, culminating in his death on the cross. He doesn't receive love because of all the things he achieves. It's the, it's the love first that, that claims him and sends him and then motivates and sustains everything he does after that. And my friends, it's the same for us as well.
At the waters of baptism, we are called, we are claimed, we are loved, and we are sent and motivated and sustained by the Holy Spirit to be people of love. There's something else, uh, there's something um, at this baptism of the Lord Sunday, around the first of the new year, there's something us Methodists like to do, and it's something we've done here for many years, and it's to renew our covenant with God. We call it our Wesleyan Covenant Renewal. Do you guys remember doing this, some of you, in the past? Uh, it's It's a powerful liturgy, it's a powerful process. And at the beginning, it's only the second Sunday in a new year. Us Methodists love to do it this time of year around Epiphany and the baptism of the Lord because we see it as a way to begin our new year preparing, committing ourselves again for the work of the Lord this year and remembering who we are and whose we are that's going to fuel our vocation from this point on, right, and everything that we do. It's a way to kind of mark the new year to say, I'm going to recommit myself again to the will and to the mission of Jesus Christ by remembering my baptism, uh, by, by confessing my sin, by repenting and returning to God, to be restored again in relationship with God. So that in everything that we do and in all that we uh, sort of see and witness and all the places we go, will be motivated and marked by this love of Jesus Christ. We each have a Christian vocation as well. It's not just me standing up here preaching and teaching. It's you. By the merit of those baptismal waters, you have also been called and claimed and sent with a baptismal vocation. So whether you are a teacher or whether you uh, are are a doctor or a a servant or a nurse or whether you're retired, whatever space you enter, you carry with you the light of Christ. And by nature of your Christian vocation, you are called to love and serve in whatever office you find yourself. And so we like to do this service of committal, recommittal at the beginning of a new year to kind of mark To refocus ourselves on the, our purpose and our mission and our identity. So this morning, my friends, we're going to do that together. We are going to participate in the Wesleyan Renewal Service. This liturgy comes from our book of worship and is pretty involved. And in years past, there's a words from the pastor and a congregational response, and we pray this prayer together. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you so much uh, for this time that we have together, for this opportunity to, to gather here in this, our sort of temple worship space, to return again to you, to remember who we are and whose we are, to remember the great love that you have for us. And so, God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and be poured out on each of us here as we reflect, as we pray, as we think, a, think ahead to the year to come and what it is that you require from us. God, we know from your scriptures it is that we would love mercy and do justice and walk humbly with you. We know that it is to love you and love our neighbors as ourselves. So God, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here? Would you pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of cup and of bread 
that as we remember that sacrifice that you make made for us, that this is grace for all people, that you would truly make us the body and blood of Christ, make us your hands and feet, and that by your spirit you would make us one with you and one with each other. We ask that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit on this gift of water, that we would recall and remember our own baptism and the promises that were made on our behalf and by you, that you called us and claimed us. Would you help us remember that that love comes first and everything we do or achieve or see is motivated and and fueled by that love first. So God, we thank you for these means of grace this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to renew a covenant as part of your people. And would you speak to our hearts this morning, we pray. Join me now in this opening prayer, church. O God, searcher of all our hearts, you have formed us people and claimed us for your own as we come to acknowledge your sovereignty and grace and to enter anew into covenant with you. Reveal any reluctance or falsehood within us. Let your spirit impress your truth on our inmost being and receive us in mercy for the sake of our mediator, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Oh God, you know that I make this covenant with you today without guile or reservation. If any falsehood should be in it, guide me and help me to set it right. And now, glory be to you, O God the Father, whom I from this day forward shall look upon as my God and Father. Glory be to you, O God the Son, who have loved me and washed me from my sins in your own blood, and now is my Savior and Redeemer. Glory be to you, O God the Holy Spirit, who by your almighty power have turned my heart from sin to God. Almighty God, the Lord omnipotent, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have now become my covenant friend, and I, through your infinite grace, have become your covenant servant. So be it. And let the covenant I have made on earth be ratified in heaven. Amen.